to sing together, church. And who am I the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Through the sun sets free. Oh, his Feel free to grab a seat, and good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bentonville, and uh, we are glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning, and I think you can even hear as you came in, this morning's worship hopefully will be a cool, uh, fresh drink of water for your soul, uh, as there's just a sense of peace in the unity of Christ that we'll be focusing on this morning. Uh, My name is Mark Schatzman. I'm part of the pastoral staff here, and we are glad that you're with us. If uh, you are joining us for the first time this morning, we're grateful. I hope you have felt welcome. I hope you've been welcome several times, but this is our chance to tell you not only welcome, but that we're actually glad that you're here and would love to meet you, love to connect with you. A couple of ways we can do that. Uh, We can connect with you most easily 
by having you head out to, uh, after the service to the community booth right across the foyer. Just meet one of our Welcome and Connections team would be easiest. But you'll also see on uh, display monitors out in the foyer, uh, QR codes and text if you're new, anything like that. If it's uh, using an electronic way to let your presence be known is easier for you, that'll be fine, and we'll follow up from there. But we are glad that you're here. We have a special group of newcomers uh, with us this morning. I want to draw your attention over to here. And they've brought their parents. And the reason they brought their parents is they can't drive yet. It's child dedication this morning. <clears throat> Susan, uh, great house. Would you lead them on up? Absolutely. And these are our families who are joining us this morning for uh, child dedication. Come on up here. So good. And we are glad that you all are here. Hey, as we do child dedication from time to time, and what we always say is, how often do we do it? Uh, as often as is needed, right? And so um, lately, you've been noticing we've been doing this more frequently. Do you know why? Obviously, you do. Because our, our early childhood ministry continues to grow, and we've got new families that we're embracing and love having as part of here. But why do child dedication, and where did this practice come from? It's not something we made up. In fact, the story goes all the way back to the early part of the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Hannah took her son, Samuel, and brought him to the temple and did a public dedication of him. Not just a private, Lord, I'm thankful for this child, but a public display. And in 1 Samuel 1.28, she says, See, I give this child to the Lord, and he will be dedicated all the days of his life to the Lord. And that's really the heartbeat behind uh, child dedication. It's these parents saying that they know a couple of things clearly. First of all, they know that these children are not theirs, they're God's, on a grateful and precious loan to them. And so because of that, they look to God and say, you must have purposes for this child and, and our family, and we want to be about your purposes and see your best in our son or daughter, whatever uh, your will might be. Susan, would you introduce us to some of the families? Yes, absolutely. We have Richard and Jordan Watkins with Kyle. We have Taylor and Candace Johnson with Hallie. Sean and Callie Campbell with Ezra. Garrett and Aaron Johnson with June. And Kevin and Kendall Rao with Riley. Welcome, welcome. Susan Thomas, who directs our early childhood team, uh, where do we fit in as a church body? Yes, we've all heard that it takes a village to raise a child, and we believe that because we don't want to do it alone, but we have asked them to include some of their community because that's what we call our village, and uh, they have brought family and some community members to come up and pray with them because we think it's important to surround ourselves with good people to help us in our parenting journey. So they're going to come up and gather around and pray with the families. And here's where we get to join in on that. So as uh, family members, biological family members are coming up, but also spiritual family members, people who are part of their community group and other small group structures surrounding these families, uh, we're going to do the same, obviously not on stage, but in spirit here. And uh, I am going to lead us through a time of prayer as they gather and here's what I'm going to ask you to do as a body. Would you pray as well? I'm going to lead us through some topics of prayer. Maybe you could pick out one of the families that you would choose to pray over. 
maybe you could choose to pray over each of the children uh, by name during this time. Let me lead us in a time of prayer. And families, you feel free and community. Come in, put hands on this child, on this family, and uh, begin to whisper and articulate out loud these prayers to God. Let's go to him. First of all, thank God for what he's doing in the life of each little boy and girl here. Whisper that prayer aloud, even by name. And ask now for wisdom for the mom and dad. Ask for a humble spirit of, hum- of uh, dependence upon the Lord as they raise this little boy or girl. And now ask for courage. Ask that mom and dad would be courageous enough to obey what they hear God saying as they raise their child. And now give thanks for these families. Thank God for the grandchildren and great-grandchildren that will come through these little children. Oh God, we do ask for this, for the Watkins, the Johnsons, the Campbells, the Johnsons, the Rouse. We ask right now that you would fill them with a spirit of wisdom, that they would have a sense of courage, to not only know what you want to do, but to follow through how you want them to raise their sons and daughters. We thank you for their presence among our body. These children are a gift from you. These families are gifts to this body. We wanna embrace as a church family all that you're doing among us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you say thanks to these families? Good morning, I'm Ed Jenkins, and uh, along with my wife, Stephanie, we serve in the early childhood with the, uh, the basically the four-year-olds, and uh, enjoy that. With us having three kids, we felt a certain responsibility to, uh, to help with, uh, uh, with the things that they needed as well. And uh, uh, what started that way ended up growing into, uh, through the years, we probably spent uh, close to 20 years working with this age group, um, and uh, and again, it's uh, it's been a a fun journey. Mm-hmm. I think the some of the things that I look back at as to what we've learned in in working with this area is that um, it's really in in my mind clarified that raising kids is a team sport. And uh, it takes each of us doing uh, a piece of that. We benefited from many people in this congregation that have invested in our kids. And um, then this is an opportunity for us to play uh, a small part in investing in the young people coming, uh, coming forward. And uh, we just had a lesson uh, about two or three weeks ago where it emphasized that, uh, uh, that Jesus was also uh, very, concerned about having the little children be able to come to him and uh, that uh, how important that was and that was actually repeated in Matthew, Mark, and Luke so if it got repeated three times it was probably worth noticing. (laughs) 
Well, I would encourage anyone to serve, especially in this area, because, well, the kids are fun, but your curriculum is planned out for you. And when you come Sunday morning, uh, it's all there. You don't have to stay up Saturday night cutting out crafts and things like that. Um, we get our lesson on Monday so we can study it at home, but then when we walk in Sunday morning, it's there. And that really makes it easier to teach and spend more time on the kids. Um, and I would really encourage parents of junior high and up to empty nesters. Um, when you don't have little ones to take care of at home, it's easier to serve in the children's area. And sometimes when you have a lot of children, just getting here on Sunday mornings hard. But uh, if you don't have any children at home, I would certainly encourage this because it's just such a blessing. I would encourage anyone that's interested in this at all to, to take a chance of doing it. You don't need a lot of years of experience. You just need a, a heart for the kids. The early childhood team has done a, a great job of making it easy to do that. So the, the main thing that you need is just a willing heart, um, willing to have fun. And uh, you know, I would also suggest that uh, uh, this probably helps keep all of us a bit younger than we might be otherwise. <laughs>of the Jenkins been serving in early childhood, and she said, oh, just shy of 20 years. In fact, her comment was to me, they actually now are at the place where they're starting to see the children of children that they had in their classes through, and I just go, that's heroic kind of stuff. Uh, one of the lines we use around here occasionally, particularly say it and discover, is that we want to be a place where our name is nowhere, but our spiritual fingerprints are everywhere. Well, the Jenkins have had a multi-generational spiritual fingerprint on the lives of so many uh, of our families here, and it's just awesome, awesome to see. And if you would ask the Jenkins, if you ask Susan Thomas, who directs our early childhood team, um, hey, how do I get involved in the child care ministry? Um, uh, what would Susan say, Susan? Say, don't call it babysitting. Yeah, so she'll rebuke me every time, right? <laughs> we don't have a child care ministry, do no. we? What do we have? You might get some dirty looks from our leaders who take this very seriously because we have the privilege of being some of the first after parents and grandparents to tell these sweet kids about Jesus. And uh, we have a wonderful curriculum and it teaches that God made them and God loves them and Jesus wants to be their friend forever. And we are hoping this sets up the foundation for them to have a uh, lifelong spiritual journey. Yeah, we talk a lot about the gospel being the central part of what we do, and anytime you talk about being gospel-centered, what you mean is talking about who God is and what God does first and foremost. Well, even the things you rattled off there in your curriculum is essentially that in early childhood preschool language, and to start that young, mm -hmm. so huge. And you all do make it easy for us. The times that I have filled in in early childhood, the times that I've not been doing something here and they've needed somebody back in the class, I've had zero prep time when I walk down the hallway, and yet it just sits there for you, and all you have to do is step in and begin to serve. But it's also a tool, not just for teachers during this hour, but for parents as well through the week. Yes, we love our curriculum, and they have a passion for partnering with families, and they are called the Orange because they combine the heart of the home with the light of the church. And uh, they are so passionate about it that they have developed a Parent Q app, which looks like this, 
but it allows parents to continue the conversations from the stories we tell on Sunday during the week. Has some really good uh, cues for while you're in the car or giving a bath or eating, and some uh, cute, really cute Bible video that shows the story over again. So they, it's a really good uh, app to have. Yeah, I'd encourage particularly young families, also grandparents, and our, we have grandkids who are in the early childhood years as well, Use the Orange curriculum and that Parent app. Again, orange is because red is the heart of the home. Yellow is the light of the church, and there's the partnership there between. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're going to spend at least 15 minutes to 20 minutes in the car getting out of here, right? And so you can even, I always sit there and say, I've never understood the complaint of that. Every family complains all week long. They never have any time to talk to one another. You're welcome. We just gave 15 <laughs> minutes every Sunday Maybe an intentional conversation that just says, hey, what were some of the things? And use the Parent Q app. You'll know exactly what your child heard because it'll all be there right on your phone and you can even replay and listen to the, one of the songs uh, on the way out. Um, but use those as tools. And again, like the Jenkins, what I so appreciated uh, about your video this morning is you started by kind of saying, you know, we had three kids of our own and we just felt like we should probably help in the kids' ministry, but what started as a responsibility has truly moved to a delight and a vision for ministry. And I think that's the heart of a servant. Uh, Jesus says servants are the great ones in the kingdom of God. I'm always gonna bank on Jesus' words as being truer than my feelings. That service is always the pathway uh, to uh, a greater way to live. And that's what you heard in the Jenkins story. It's just a blessing to step in. So if indeed... Uh, early childhood ministry is a place that you would like to serve, or you feeling the Lord even touching you going, just take a step. Uh, Susan Thomas and Susan Greathouse will be in the booth this morning, as far as the, right up to the service, just on the left in the foyer. But it could be another way in the body of Christ here. All I know is that in my home, you can tell the difference between a guest and a family member at every meal. The guests usually are polite and sit and thank you, the family members seem like they laugh harder, they enjoy more, and then they pick up the dish as well and help you clean up as well. There's just something about belonging uh, when you embrace serving as well, and that's what uh, God wants for all of us. Hey, let me ask this. As we head towards our worship time, and we've talked about this sense of dedicating small children, obviously dedicating our, our time through service, but also even during this first song, we'll give it an opportunity to take the offering which really is a visual and constant reminder that we continue to dedicate our financial uh, resources as well. Everything we have comes from God. Our giving just says, I believe that, and I wanna participate with God and give back what he's telling me to give. Let me pray for us. Lord God, as we worship this morning, our desire would be first and foremost to um, dedicate our hearts to you. So the songs we sing as our mouths open, these will be a, a small portion of the breath that you've given us. We give it back to you in worship. As we take an offering, this is a small portion giving back to you what you have given us. It is a joy to practice generous giving. Thank you for the command and the opportunity to give. Thank you for the command and the opportunity to serve. Thank you for the command and the opportunity to worship such a good God to give us a path to a bigger life. We love you. Amen.
can trust you. Thank you that you have made everything in the heavens and on the earth. You've created each of us with a unique expression of your glory, of your story. As we sing these words, as we've trusted you with these children, with our time and our service, with this offering and our finances, would these words about you raising back to life and conquering the grave on our behalf because you love us sink deeply into our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with us as we sing?
forgiven cause you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again it's amazing Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do.
not forget we were once far away now we have been brought near by the sacrifice of Jesus God let us not forget we once lived in hostility toward you and one another now we have peace with God and one another through the sacrifice of Jesus It is by God's glorious grace we have been saved, and by grace we will live forever with him. Thanks be to God.
Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your constant grace. Thank you for your face that never turns away from ours even when we turn away from you. Jesus, thank you for the mercy that you give us. God, thank you for redemption that is in your name, Jesus. Thank you for a future hope that's ahead of us that we can sing about and remember and look forward to. It's all because of you, Jesus. It's because of your heart, our Father. God, capture our imaginations. God, capture our hearts. God, capture our wills, our minds this morning more and more as we set our face toward you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I gave the team a hard time for not bringing the table out for me last time, and Andrew brought it out to the front for me just a little bit. Thank you, Andrew. I love his voice. I love his accent. Don't you? Yeah, I'm changing my Siri voice to match his accent. You can do that. Make it Australian. How about them hogs, huh? Oh, come on now. We'll bounce back this week with Alabama. It's okay. It's okay. It's a ball game. Hey, uh, I tell you what, you know, they could do something this week. If you'd have told us 11 years ago that we would have built two new campuses, one in Fayetteville and one in Bentonville, I mean, you might have laughed the same way. Like, yeah, right, right. But God has been so good to us. I used to come out here and watch the deer graze in this field. And now I get to come and hear you sing like you just did. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How beautiful is that? This whole area, this section of, of, of town used to be called Briartown. It was where the poorest of the poor lived. And now it's rich in praise to God. I thank him for that. I thank him that through his people over the last 10 years, have given over $40 million for these two campuses. Over $40 million. And, and that's in addition to all the other things that we do. How generous are you? And how good of God to work through you to make a difference for these communities. Because in the years to come, thousands and thousands of people for generations will come to this place and they'll find Jesus. And they'll find purpose for life. And so thank you for your generosity. With Fayetteville, we paid that off in five years, and we're trying to do the same here. We're going to get it paid off by the end of December, we hope. And so if you've not jumped in, if you're a newcomer, we want you to jump in. We want you to jump in. Go to Bentonville.org, and uh, fellowshipbentonville.org, and uh, you can help us get this paid off. Because we want to get it behind us. We want to eliminate the debt so that we can move on to other things. But thank you, Lord, for providing this for us. Well, would you stand as we read the Word of God? And as I read this, I want you to think about this. We are made one. We are made one. We are reconciled through Christ. I want you to listen. To what Paul has to say to us. 
He says, don't forget that you Gentiles, that's us, we're Gentiles. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant provinces God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Let me say that again. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. See, Christ did away with the ceremonial law, but he fulfilled the moral law. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. May God speak to us through his word. You may be seated. The first three chapters of Ephesians deal with doctrine. The doctrine for members of Christ's body. Who we are or who we're supposed to be. And then the second half of Ephesians deals with the duties of those in Christ's body. How we're supposed to act. And so the book of Ephesians is very important for the Christian body. It tells us who we're supposed to be, and how we're supposed to act. Very important for us to understand the book of Ephesians. Our theme today is unity. If I could put a big watermark across this screen, it would say unity. And I don't know of anything in our nation right now that we need more of than unity. You agree? We need unity, and it starts right here. In the church of Jesus Christ. But we've allowed so many of those things outside those walls to come inside these walls. And we have gotten confused. But we need to get back to the word. 
And remember what Jesus has called us to be and to do. Ephesians is a prison epistle. It was written from Rome around 60 AD, just a few years before Nero would kill Paul. But here he talks to them about unity, about that great need. And in our country, I think it's going to take a lot of pain for us to get to that place if we get there at all. But let's let it be true of us. Today we study a first century topic. It was a letter addressed to the Ephesians, but it has a 20th, uh, 21st century application to all of us. So just don't think that the message was for them. It's for us. It applies to us, and we need this more than anything right now. There's an even broader message here for our city, state, and nation concerning racial hostility. And as I said, it begins here. That we must be people who demonstrate the peace of God that transcends all understanding. It started for me back when I was a kid. I want to make this applicable for you. This is the little town where I lived. You can see all those old trucks and stuff from the 60s. And uh, two different pictures here, but there was Main Street down the middle, and then the, my father ran the movie theater there in town. And, and uh, it's taken from the vantage point. I was standing in front of my grandfather, or in front of my father's pool hall. And it was the first day of school, 1966. And I remember standing there in front of that pool hall, and something happened that day. It was the first day of integration in our little town, my first day of first grade. And all the white people were standing on each side of the street, on the sidewalks, and coming from the other end of town with the black children and some of their parents with them, walking down together to go to school. They must have been scared to death. And I can remember standing there as a six-year-old watching this happen and thinking to myself, I can still remember it, this is wrong. I felt uneasy about the whole thing. I went to school that day and I met a friend who became a friend. His name was Romy. Romy, we played together at recess. We sat by one another in class. We ate together in the cafeteria. And that afternoon, we walked home together because we lived pretty close to one another. But we had never met. Our parents... There, one wasn't, didn't make much money, more money than the other, I don't think. But we'd never been together. And we became friends. As a matter of fact, the next morning, the second day of school, Romy was hiding in the hedge out in front of my house, saying my name, Mickey, <laughs> Mickey. And we walked to school together. We ate together. We played together. And every day we walked home together 
A lot of those times holding hands. We grew up together through high school and played football together, played basketball, ran track, or he ran track. I didn't run. I, I wasn't very fast or very strong. He was an athlete and I wasn't, but we were still good friends. I remember uh, one day my, I had a watch and somebody stole my, the watch out of my football locker. And uh, I told Romy, I said, somebody got my watch. About three days later, he comes up to me, and he's holding my watch, and he hands it to me. He didn't tell me where he got it or who had taken it. He just handed it to me, and I said, thanks, and we smiled at one another. You didn't mess with Romy. Romy took care of things. Romy's with the Lord now, and I wish I could call him. He before he died, he sent me a big picture of poster pictures of him, you know, and his family. And uh, I can still hear him yelling my name from behind that hedge. So the racial hostility is not something that's new. It was very prevalent in the first century, hence our letter today. You'll see here at the Temple Mount. We can bring that up. You see the red line there? Outside that red line was the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles could not go past that red line because that was only for Jews inside that area. You have the court of the, uh, the treasury and the court of the women there and then the holy of holies, but nope, no Gentiles could get in there. As a matter of fact, there were signs along the way telling a Gentile that if they crossed that line, that they would meet a swift and sudden death. Those signs have been, have been excavated. There's one in Istanbul in a museum there, and there's one uh, in Jerusalem at the Rockefeller Museum. So they were very serious about this divide between Jew and Gentile. You see, the, the Jews, they felt like the Gentiles had been created to kindle the fires of hell. Seriously, that was part of their writings. Uh, they believed that uh, if they left the Holy Land and came back in, that when they came back in, they would shake the dust off their feet so that they wouldn't contaminate God's land. If a Jewish man or woman married a Gentile, the family would conduct a funeral because they would be dead to them from that day forward. That's how serious it was. And the Jews could not enter a Gentile home, nor could they allow a Gentile to enter their homes. So what we experience today in our country is, was common back then. You'll see in the epistles that the Jew and Gentile problem was such an issue that it came before the church in Jerusalem. In Acts 11, they heard from Peter that the Gentiles were to hear the gospel. And they agreed, but they didn't make a statement until about 10 years later in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. And the reason they made a statement at that point was because of the Judaizers who were becoming so prevalent in that day. You see, the Judaizers thought that, uh, you know, you could receive Christ and be a Christian, 
but you also had to be circumcised. They were trying to cling to both worlds. From the old law and the new way. See, Peter had had an experience. He was in Joppa, same place where Jonah got on the boat to get away from God's call, to go the opposite direction. He was in Joppa, and he had a vision where the Lord let down a sheet from heaven. And it had all kinds of animals in it, unclean animals and reptiles. And the voice told him, get up and eat. And Peter said, no way. I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. And the voice told him, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And Peter got the message. And so he went back to the church in Jerusalem. And here's a record of what the Jerusalem council had to say. Acts 15. The apostle and the elders in Jerusalem met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. That was huge. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving, them the, Holy, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. But the racism and the prejudice was so ingrained in them through generational sin that Paul had to confront Peter. Because even though he would say those words about how the Gentiles had been accepted, look what happened. Paul confronted him. When Cephas, or Kepha, Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. I, I'm not sure I would want to be part of that group, but anyway. The other Jews joined him in this, his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And I, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul would say to the church in Colossae, look down to verse 11 here at the bottom, three lines up. Here in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, which means uncivilized, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Christ is all and is in all. And that message should be applied to us today.
that we realize there is no difference in God's eyes and we should see others through his eyes. So let's look at our passage today in this light because it fleshes it out for us. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? Remember, we have to look back. As Hunter so eloquently taught it last week, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. If you've been saved by grace, he says, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, there it is again, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. You Gentiles were separated because of the Jewish custom. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, just think about that. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, some churches don't like to talk about the blood of Christ anymore. They want to sanitize the gospel. Let's don't say that. That'll be offensive to outsiders, but we can't sanitize the gospel to the point where we diminish the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's important to us. It's importance to us. Because if not for the blood of Christ, we have no salvation. Don't sanitize the gospel. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The racial hostility toward one another was to be put to death. No more. No more. The ground was to be level around the cross where no one person looked down on another person. And it's to be that way today. We are equals before God. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. There's not a spirit for this group and a spirit for that group, a spirit for this group. No, it's by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You see all the people on that street that I put up there a moment ago? In Christ, they're all brought together as one. Fellow citizens, members of his household. And I want you to notice this. The, 
I, I pay close attention to what he says here. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Everything depends on the proper placement of the cornerstone. It has to be perfectly level. It has to be perfectly straight because it sets the tone for the rest of the building. And Christ is that cornerstone. He was perfect. And then look what it says. Christ is a cornerstone. And then that's built. Then the rest of the foundation is built on the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, the word of God. That's the foundation of what we believe. And then look at this as he goes on. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're the building blocks. We're the building blocks on the, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets in Christ, the cornerstone. And if we become weak, then the building becomes weak. The church becomes weak. The church becomes infiltrated by those who don't stand on this word. There's so much at risk, so much at risk when we don't listen to him. I think Tom Frank listened to him at his 40th reunion. A lot of you know Tom because he's always standing out there greeting you. Come on up here, Tom. <clears throat> Tom and I both graduated in 1978, but it's, it's amazing. He doesn't have any gray hair. But... Um, <laughs> Anyway, he's just a uh, much healthier guy, I guess. But uh, Tom graduated. There he is. It's all right there, folks. <laughs> that was 1978, that graduation there. And uh, I, I asked Tom to share his story on a podcast. I do a podcast called The Ride Home, and you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I would encourage you to go listen to the whole story. But I asked him if he would come share this today because it's so applicable to this passage of Scripture and its application to what we're talking about today. So, Tom, thank you. Well, thank you. For sharing Thank you so this. much. And the way I got here is I called Mickey one day to see if he wanted to play golf with me, and he said, no, but could you do this today? And uh, I couldn't tell him no, so I, I said yes. And then after the first service, uh, I asked my wife, where did he get that picture? And she said, she sent it to him, and he said, well, oh, this is in color. And she said, well, how old do you think we are? He said we're the same age. I don't know. You guys, make the, you guys can make the call here. Uh, but, but anyway, you know what? I grew up a little bit different than Mickey. Uh, you know, I was born in a non-Christian home, and, and I was born in a home full of prejudice. So unlike Mickey, it was, it was a lot different for me. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee as a kid where we had racial issues all around us. Um, I saw the National Guard come in uh, the day Martin Luther King was shot, and we spent that week dealing with that whole issue. Uh, I went to high school in Collierville, Tennessee, which was a suburb, and our high school was about 50% white and 50% black. Uh, unlike Mickey, all my friends were white. Uh, I didn't have any black friends. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. You know, I didn't ride around with a rebel flag in my truck and try to cause racial problems because I didn't do that. I just didn't do anything to go out of my way to make friends with, with any of my black classmates. Years later, though, after becoming a Christian after, in college, uh, there was a change in my heart. 
uh, over time, I became more and more burdened about my feelings towards uh, other races. Uh, then we moved to Birmingham, Alabama, where we attended church, and Lisa and I were asked to host a home, uh, and we said yes, and uh, uh, we hosted a black man, black man named Claude, who was about, uh, at the time, we thought he was old, he was 65. Uh, <laughs> That's not very old, is it, Mickey? No, it is old. Uh, <laughs> we, I was just about 30 at the time, so we thought he was old. I don't think it's old anymore. But he was a sweet man, and we had, my wife and I had two boys at home, young boys at the time. Uh, Claude stayed with us for the entire week. Uh, my kids were young at the time, uh, and I realized that my boys were witnessing uh, something that I never witnessed in my entire childhood. We had a black man staying in our home. And we had no problem with that, but that would have never happened in my parents' home. Um, so that was the turning point for me. Uh, from that day forward, it was time for me to take an outward approach towards the inward change that I had in my heart that I had been dealing with. So fast forward this 40 to our 40th reunion, um, and when we attended, I asked if I could address the class at the reunion uh, before dinner one night, and they said, sure. So I got up in front of the class. Uh, behind the podium, and I said, I want to talk about two topics, race and religion. And you could have heard a pin drop in that room. <laughs> I told them I wanted to apologize for the way I treated blacks while I was in high school. But then I told them something happened in my life, which was the most important thing ever. And that's when I asked Jesus Christ into my life. And I began walking as Jesus instructed me to. And then I realized my attitude toward and feelings towards uh, other races was wrong, and I needed to change that. And I had changed that on an inward appearance. So Jesus did show me that we're all equal, and he came into our life so that he could reconcile our differences that we had. The reaction in the crowd was total silence and shock, which eventually turned into applause, and then everybody stood and clapped. Afterwards, I had both whites and blacks and faculty members come up and just tell me this is a message that we all needed to hear. So that's my story. That's how Jesus came into my life and reconciled my differences that I had to deal with with race. So I hope my story may help somebody here today. Thank you, Mickey. Hey, thank you, Tom. That took a lot of courage to do what you did. It takes a lot of courage for us to stand against the tide of the things that this world would have us to accept. And we will not accept things that are contrary to the word of God. But we must demonstrate to the world those things we see very clearly through the word of God. And from this passage today is that we are one. Regardless of your background. Regardless of the color of your skin. Whatever it may be, we should look at all men as equal before God. Because God does not show favoritism. And if we are to see the world through his eyes, if we're to demonstrate his heart and his peace to the world, then we better get our minds right about what this book says.
And one day we'll stand before him. I implore you that this, let's take these words to heart. And let the unity that we desire for our world begin in this church. Not just Fellowship Bentonville. Fellowship Rogers. Fellowship Mosaic. Fellowship Fayetteville. Let us demonstrate his peace by the way we live. Would you pray with me? One heart, one spirit, one voice to praise you. We are the body of Christ. One goal, one vision to see you exalted. We are the body of Christ. to this we give our lives to see you glorified one heart one spirit one voice to praise you we are the body 